He is the author of Carrie, The Shining, Misery, and so many more classic and frightening tales. Stephen King, master of the supernatural and suspense, reflects on the art of writing. I go where the story leads, and uh, sometimes it is a little bit outrageous, and I relish that. I, I sort of want to be as much on the edge as I can, uh, and I want to engage the reader. I'm an emotional writer in the sense that I, I'd be happy if you reread a book for the intellectual or the mental part of it, but the first time I just like to reach out and grab you, pull you in. Hello and welcome to another episode of Pop Culture Rewind. I am Ellis Travis, and with me as always is my co-host Xavier. Oh, what up? And thank you for tuning into another episode. We have a good one for you as usual, folks. Uh, but before we get into uh, this episode, X, I, I, I got, I got to ask, I got to ask an important question here. Sure. This is this is serious. Did you, Ooh. did you, ever find more toilet paper? Oh, yeah, dude. The other day, uh, we were at work in the morning, and somebody said, dude, Walmart has toilet paper on the shelves. Like, you didn't even have to go to the photo lab and stand in line. Paper t- so we left, you know, in the middle of the workday, because there's one right, you know, close by one. And, yeah, toilet paper and paper towels were sitting right there on the shelf. Yeah, so, I, yeah, it, nowadays, it normal. nowadays, if you hear that a store has toilet paper and paper towels, for God's sakes, people, leave what you're doing. Stop what you're doing. <laughs> yeah. And go out there and get it. <laughs> yeah, this is like 8.30 in the morning that we left. Uh, yeah, I'm sure what... that, you know, by 10 o'clock it was all gone. Oh, but... I'm sure. Yeah. It's, uh, it's it's pretty crazy. So, you know, last episode uh, we recorded, uh, this whole uh, uh, coronavirus crap just started and we are just doing the the early phases of the lockdown and all this stay-at-home quarantine stuff. Um, but we, you and me have been fortunate enough. We've been able to actually go out and go to work. and, and Yeah, still got a paycheck coming so, in. Hey, have you gotten your uh, stimulus check? I have not. Oh, uh, <laughs> yeah, not me neither. I know yeah. people who have, though. So Yeah, yeah. Um, the ironic thing is I work for a financial institution, so I get to see other people's money going into their accounts. Again. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. So that's fun. You. Yeah. But uh Yeah, we're still living through it, but you know, we're doing okay. I'm sure there's I'm sure this hit a lot of people hard. I was reading the other day in Michigan people were like protesting, saying like, you know, let us go back to work, open things up again, you know. Yeah. Well, one of the reasons so was I think their governor or something, they were putting a ban on buying like just seeds to go out and plant stuff in your backyard. Like they they it was getting like really strict in Michigan, so that's when people started the yeah, whole protest stuff, so, so. I'm yeah. saying this, this thing's starting to overflow and people are starting to get crazy. Yeah, I, I and that's why I, I think they started. Uh, they just announced the whole uh, phased plans, phase one, two, and three of of reopening the economy because they got to. Because another month of this, people are going to start like really. Yeah, getting... businesses are going to shut down. They're going to go hungry, and you know, twelve hundred bucks ain't going to do shit. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's like shooting a BB gun at a freight train. You know that uh, all that the the. 
those uh, government loans for the businesses that were going to give out money to businesses to pay their employees, they ran out of money like two days into like (laughs) giving those. So they're trying to get more money out for businesses, but that's, we're going to be like, we're just printing money at this point. (laughs) It's it's, it's not even, we need, we need little finger in the white house because that guy can just find gold. (laughs) Right. There you go. (laughs) (laughs) But, uh, Uh, but yeah, it does suck just like all weekend. I just stay at home and just watch TV like all day long, which is, not a new occurrence. It's kind of sad when you realize your normal social life is referred to as quarantine. <laughs> but uh, yeah. I saw a, I saw a meme. It was kind of funny. It was like a you know I you know I never really like to go out to places a whole lot, but damn, I like to go out at least one or two places. You know, but now it's just like yeah, like yeah, even a bookstore. I can't even do that or something. You know. Yeah. But we'll we'll get through this, and uh, I th- I think it'll. Uh, it might, yeah. it might take a while, but uh, hopefully it'll be back to normal before we know it. Yeah, but, I used um, to love to stop by half price books on the way home from work. Now I can't even do that. They took away my cheap books. Yeah, and cheap movies. And cheap Blu-ray, yeah, and shit like that. So Yeah. But anyways. Well, um, before we get into this episode's topic, I, uh, I, I saw some news, and we haven't really gone over news in a while, so I figured um, it's, it's somewhat corona-related. It's the cause of it, basically. But uh, Marvel and the MCU, they uh, they updated all their release schedules for Phase Four for all their movies. So, oh, so when's Black Widow coming out? That's not coming out to November sixth, mm-hmm. which was the original date for Eternals. So basically, what they're doing is they're just pushing, they're just pushing the oh everything just moving back slot over. Yeah, so now Black uh-huh. Widow's in November, Eternals is in February, Shang Chi is uh, May seventh of next year. Um, there's another Spider-Man project come out in July, but that's not MCU, but, um, Dr. Strange two, uh, November 5th, 2021. We got some news on that one just by itself. Directed uh, by Sam Raimi. Yeah. Officially now it was a rumor yeah. a while back, but now it's confirmed. Uh, Sam Raimi is directing. Did that the- excite you when you heard it? <laughs> I didn't, you know what? Um, I heard the news and I was like, I, it's like I should be excited about this, but I just kind of like I read it. Okay, cool, and I kind of moved on about my day. Ba- about my day, but um, yeah, Sam Raimi directing a uh, uh, a Doctor Strange movie, uh, a Marvel movie, even. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, uh, yeah, he 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 helped kick off this whole thing. He started the Spider Man uh, movie back in two thousand two. Yeah. Um, so you'd say, oh yeah, he guy knows how to do a comic book movie because he did a good one almost 20 years ago. <laughs> but since then, like Oz, Great and Powerful and... Drag and Me to what Hell? What else? Drag Me to Hell? Drag Me to Hell, I yeah. think. Was that afterwards? I think it was after. Maybe, yeah. Yeah, it was. Um, and that's it? Like, what has he been doing? I'm assuming he's probably just producing shit. Yeah, I would assume. But he hasn't been in a director's chair in a while and everything he's done since Spider-Man. Eh. Yeah. <laughs> but 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 in Spider-Man he he mentioned uh Doctor Strange or is it Spider-Man 2 he, he mentioned Doctor Strange. There's in one, one of them, yeah. Yeah, he and so people he, like he, hey. he's, yeah, JK is yelling at Ted Raimi like yeah. what's the name of this guy? Doc Ock. He even says like so and so names. Eh, Doctor Strange. That's not bad. But it's taken, you know? <laughs> <laughs> um, So um so there's that um I just want to throw that there. Oh, the Thor Love and Thunder that's going to come out February 2022 now. So, um, not loving that name, yeah. <laughs> Love and Thunder. It sounds, I don't know. Yeah, it's all about Valkyrie being gay. That's all it is. Um, okay, so oh, she's in it. Yeah. Um, now, uh, the Disney Plus shows 
that are tying all into the MCU. Apparently some of those are still staying the same release dates, but some of them might be getting pushed back. Uh, Falcon and the winter soldier that's still supposedly coming out in the fall of this year. Um, and supposedly one division is still, it was already supposed to be out, I think in spring of this year, but I think that's getting pushed back to like August or September. Um, then we have Loki and what if I think those are next year. And then, uh, 2022, we have she Hulk, Miss Marvel and moon Knight. So, Who's playing She-Hulk? We don't know yet. They haven't said anything. Mm. Yeah. Think she'll be CG? That's what everybody is wanting to know. Like, because <laughs> for Hulk, it's kind of obvious you kind of do it. But She-Hulk was never as big as Hulk. And she was, you could get away with getting like, maybe like a, a like a, just a muscular chick, you know, as her. But yeah, I don't know. I don't how many muscular chicks can act and, and yeah. anchor a show. Yeah. Uh, what do you do? What do you do? Right. <laughs> <laughs> I'd I'd make her CG. I'd, I'd insist on a good actress, which means you probably have to make her CG. Mm. But that's cost money, and I don't know if she's just painted <laughs> Lou Ferrigno style. Is it uh, too? Is it too old school? Is that too? What, what like, if? What if when she changes? What if they do like the Bill Bixby Lou Ferrigno, and then whenever she turns into Green Hulk, they just change actresses? They get like a bodybuilder who's painted green. <laughs> Yeah, is it is that like too passe to do that nowadays? Like That's, you have to have CJ. Yeah. You have to have. Plus, CJ? She Hulk was never just like oh, She Hulk smash. She was like still smart and shit. She was like a lawyer, right? While green and shit, you know. Yeah, yeah. yeah that should be. I mean, it should be interesting. And I'm just curious. Yeah, I'm, I'm more curious than anything. Just how they handle it. Yeah, yeah, for real. Um, oh, and uh, I heard a little bit of. Uh, I don't know if this is gossip, rumor, or if it's for fact, but apparently today. Uh, Marvel, or this week, I guess, I don't know, Marvel supposedly got the rights back to Hulk from Universal, so now they do have the rights to make a standalone Hulk movie, if they so choose. But, uh... Eh. But I think the the damage has been done for Hulk as far as Endgame goes. Yeah, because his arm's all fucked up, right? Yeah. And the Russo <laughs> said that's permanent damage. Li- yeah, yeah, he's he's like Chris Elliott in the Scary Movie Two. He's just got that little, <laughs> that little tiny weak arm. <laughs> don't touch me! Don't touch me! Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Yeah. Okay. Oh, not Scary Movie Two, but. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay, so that's. I just wanted to. I, I just was reading up on that uh, last couple of days. So I was like, yeah, for, yeah, okay. I'll throw that yeah. in the episode. What if Blake Lively was She-Hulk, or is she too blonde? I don't know. She always had dark hair to go with the green. Dude, at this point, she might be too white. Oh, I mean, it all depends. It all depends on the actress. Like Rosaria Dawson as Ahsoka Tano. I don't know if I like that either. But uh, it's all about the actress. Even though I like her, I just don't know if she's the right fit. It's about finding the right actress, the right fit. Oh, that just reminds me, since you mentioned Ahsoka. Uh, I watched the, uh, the first episode of the final arc on Clone Wars for the Siege of Mandalore. Dude, okay, I'm telling you right now, in four weeks, get Disney Plus and binge. (laughs) Dude, this first part part of it was fucking amazing. That's all I'm going to say. And they're only giving us one season of it, right? Yeah, this is it. This last... No, this is it. The final... It's the final four episodes. I mean, they might they might not decide, like, oh, people like it. Let's uh, try and squeeze in just one more season (laughs) in between, you know? I mean, they could, I guess, but <laughs> from what I saw in the first part episode of this last little story arc, uh, I think they're they're getting to the end of what you can in the prequels, basically. But uh, mm. anyway, uh, that anyways, might, that might be a topic for another day. 
but uh, for this for this episode, I am going to uh, turn the reins over the over this to you because this yes, is this give is, them this, yeah because <laughs> this is something that you wanted to uh, you wanted to do an episode on, and I'm gonna pass it over to you. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> That's what I watched yesterday. I was so I, I literally yesterday watched Three Musketeers, the 1993 Disney, and then right afterwards I watched the Paul Thomas Anderson Three Musketeers mm. movie. <laughs> right. If I had Man the Iron Mask, I would have watched that too. <laughs> hey, that'd be an interesting episode. Yeah. Uh, all of the Three Musketeers stories. Yeah. Sort of keeping with our trilogy of films uh, episode, which is what we're going to do today. I asked Travis a while ago. Hey, you know what? There's an episode I kind of wanted to do. Like a couple months ago, I finished reading uh, Song of Ice and Fire, my third go-round, actually. Hoorah. And I was like, oh, that was kind of exhausting. Uh, I need to start another book tree, but I didn't want to start a whole new series. So I was like, I need something short and light just to kill some time. So I read the short story, uh, Stephen King, Rita Hayworth, and the Shawshank Redemption. Mm-hmm. And, since, and it was because of this book right here. This book called Different Seasons by Stephen King, published in 1982. It's four novellas. Rita Hayworth and the Shawshank Redemption, uh, Apt Pupil, and The Body, which mm-hmm. later became the film Stand By Me. So I, I read the short, short story. Let me watch the movie. Uh, and then I, You know what? Let me read the next short story. It's only a couple hundred pages. And I read Apt Pupil. Oh, that was cool. Let me watch the movie. <laughs> and then I read Stand By Me. And oh, that was great. Let me watch the movie too. And then I had like, oh, dude, I, I was in like the Stephen King mood. And that's when I sort of said, hey, do you want to talk about these sort of three movies, which are in a way have nothing to do with each other? Because mm. I love Stephen King, but my favorite books of his, my favorite stories of his are not the horror stories. He's sort of known as being a horror guy. Right, yeah. But I think some of his best work is 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 non-horror um, stuff. Uh, Eyes of the Dragon is easily probably my favorite Stephen King book. So these three films were adapted into, th- three stories were adapted into three films. And I thought, hey, let's talk about them a little bit. Okay. What was the uh, what was the fourth novella in that book? It's called the Breathing Method. Uh, I actually looked into it. It says it's like in development, but nothing yeah. has ever. There's like nobody attached. There's no nothing. Uh, Somebody just probably owns the rights to it. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, but you know, three nice round number. Yeah. Um. I, and I was. I know we had talked about doing a Stephen King episode in the past, and uh, to be honest, I, I'm a little. Uh, I don't want to say intimidated to do a Stephen King episode, but, uh, cause I've, I've always, I watched the movies. How so? Cause I, I'm not, I know there's, um, I've always seen the movies, but I have, I've never really read the books of the, of his work. Oh. So, well then let's talk about the sleepwalkers. Cause that was a screenplay. He just wrote as a screenplay. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, it's just one of those things where, uh, in some of these movies, to be honest, I watched them years ago and, uh, I don't really revisit a whole lot of those movies, but I mean, I watched them and I enjoy them. <laughs> But uh, no. anyway, I know there's a there's a big fan base uh, for for Stephen King, you know, uh, and I I don't want to come across as someone who uh, doesn't know his shit. <laughs> oh, I see what you mean. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. It's funny. I was also reading some other short stories. I ended up reading Smokers Inc. and The Ledge. Two of those stories that were in a uh, Cat's Eye, mm. <laughs> and The Mangler, which also became a very terrible movie. I never read the short story of The Mangler before, and I was surprised. Like, oh my god, it really is about a killer furnace. It's like, <laughs> <laughs> do 
You ever see that movie, The Mangler? Yeah, actually, I have it on DVD. <laughs> oh, really? It was, it was it was supposed to be like three like Stephen King uh-huh. and Robert England, directed by Toby Hooper. Right. Like all these masters of horror came together, and Ted Levine was in it. Mm-hmm. And it's supposed to be super scary. And it's a terrible fucking movie. And I was like, they must have made some drastic differences. There's no way Stephen King wrote a story about a a, a freaking laundry press that that's sentient or something. It kills people. No, that's what the story is fucking about. <laughs> Well, you say that, but then what about, you got, what, Maximum Overdrive, but the, uh... Yeah, the machines come to life. <laughs> the fucking Dream Goblin. This is like a laundry machine. It's just really dumb. And, like, how it happens. Like, some ladies taking, like, this arthritis medication, which is rooted in, like, this old plant, and it falls in the machine, and this girl who worked there who happens to be a virgin cuts her hands, so, like, the blood and the ancient <laughs> plant, and, it, cre- and it, it summons a demon and everything. Like, wow, really? <laughs> I was like, that's all in the book, too. It's crazy. Uh, yeah, I like Stephen King. Um, although for every one of his stories, I've for every like two of his books I've read, there's one that I've gotten halfway through and like, eh, never finished Dreamcatcher, never finished Dark Half, never finished. It. There's a lot of half half read Stephen King books. <laughs> um, but let's get into the meat of the episode. Uh, we're gonna talk about most of the movies. I'll probably bring the books up a little bit if there's something. A big difference here and there. But mostly, yeah, we're here to talk about the movies. The first one, I'm going to go through the book's chron- uh, chronology. The first story in it is, like I said, it's called Rita Hayworth and the Shawshank Redemption. All told first person by Red. Sort of the way the movie is. It's really, it's told by Red, but it's really about Andy Dufresne, much like the film. And Morgan Freeman, oh, he's, <laughs> this is sort of like that Morgan Freeman voice mm-hmm. that everybody is like a joke today. It's because he narrated this film. <laughs> Yeah, I would think so, yeah. This film gave us, like, that Morgan Freeman voice. He wouldn't have gotten that Penguin movie gig if it wasn't for, like, oh, that guy's voice is like fucking honey. I could see why some of the boys took him for snobby. He had a quiet way about him. A walk and a talk that just wasn't normal around here. He strolled like a man in a park without a care or a worry in the world. Like he had on an invisible coat that would shield him from this place. Yeah, I think it would be fair to say I liked Andy from the start. Yeah, written directed by Frank Darabont, a guy who would go on to write and direct or adapt The Green Mile and The Mist, two other Stephen King books. So this guy really likes Stephen King. He wouldn't have a, Frank Darabont wouldn't have a career without Stephen King. Yeah, thank you. Uh, and he also created a uh, uh, Walking Dead for AMC. Like he's the he was a showrunner for yeah. like season one. Yeah, that's and right. And then there's a big fallout. There's then, a big fallout from that. And yeah, yeah. but he's he, yeah he sort of kicked it off. But AMC gave him the boot for some reason. Yeah, irreconcilable differences. That's why I think if you see uh, the mist, I think there's quite a few Walking Dead original cast members in the mist. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and gorillas. Yes, and gorillas in the mist. Yes, and Sigourney Weaver. Yeah, because she was in Gorillas in the Mist. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, did you see this movie when it was brand new? Uh, yeah, not like brand new, in not the in the theaters. theater, but I saw it a couple years after it came out. Yeah, so I was yeah, my teens. Yeah, I like like it's so well regarded now. It's considered such a great film. It's it's probably in like archives of Library of Congress, maybe I don't know. Yeah, but at the time, it didn't do too well. It really found its home. Later on, mm-hmm. on like I think it would come on. It used to come on TNT like every other day. I think I first saw it on HBO, 
And it took me a couple times to get, I get, I watched like 20 minutes of it. It was like, yeah. And I get 30 minutes in. That's pretty good. It took me a few times. Then once I sat and watched it all the way through, I was like, holy shit, this movie's fucking amazing. Yeah, and a lot of people didn't see it right away. I don't I don't know if it was a, a blockbuster at the time. Um, actually, it wasn't really. Um, I got some numbers here. Um, the budget for it was $25 million. Um, It's not bad. Yeah, the, the worldwide gross was 28.7 million. That's, that's pretty bad. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, critics loved it at the time. It was a nominee for best picture and to be honest, I, I it I think looking back, it was up okay, Forrest Gump was the it was the year of Forrest Gump. Yeah. And The Dark Horse, it was also the year of Pulp Fiction. So it was really like a choice between those two. And then you had Shawshank and then it was also Quiz Show and uh, Four Weddings and a Funeral. Mm. Uh, I think maybe maybe neck and neck with Pulp Fiction. I don't think Forrest Gump stands up. I think it just sort of touches you in a special spot. It's quotable and funny. But is it a better movie than Shawshank? I don't think so. No. No. Uh, Pulp Fiction, I still think that holds up. And I still think it changed the face of filmmaking at the time. It was an important movie. Obviously, we couldn't have predicted that at the time. But, yeah, looking back, this movie was... Uh, nobody <laughs> saw... It was, it, it was Thank God for TNT. Yeah. Thank you, Mr. Turner, <laughs> for playing this all the fucking time. <laughs> and it, it was a movie that when it came on, it was like, you know, I'll, you should drop the remote. I'll leave it here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no matter where you are in the movie, this is a good spot. <laughs> Basically, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, Tim Robbins was great. Everybody in this movie, William Sadler, Bob Gutton, uh, the whole cast and crew in this movie is just so just so good. And it's such a good story about about hope. Um the book is called Different Seasons, and every uh, every chapter or every story has a sort of subtitle. This one is called Hope Springs Eternal, using springs as a season. Like they each have like a, a season oh. themed. So this one's called Hope Springs Eternal because that really is the message of this movie. It's about hope. Even even the end, you know, hope is a good thing. Maybe the best of things, and no good things ever dies. Even as at the very 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 end, when Morgan Freeman's narrates, like I hope. The ocean is as blue as I imagine. Yeah. I hope I get to see my friend. I hope to shake his hand. I hope. Like ellipses. Like, he's hoping again. He even says in the movie, like, hope is a dangerous thing. Hope can get you killed and all that kind of stuff. It's sort of the, the thesis of this of this whole story. Um, but fuck, it's such a good movie. And the score is... is the score is fantastic. <laughs> oh, I love this movie. Clancy Brown as the, as the fucking head, yeah. head guard. Oh, this is like, God forbid anything ever happens to that man. But if he was to die tomorrow, it would probably be the first blur of Clancy Brown of Shawshank Redemption, because this is the most high-profile thing. I mean, not that he hasn't had a great career. He's in a lot of cool but shit. Sort but of, yeah, mainstream is going to be Shawshank, I think. Yeah, this is what they would say, and he is great. He's scary but funny mm. at the same time too. <laughs> uh, yeah, he toes that line really well. Yeah, I did want to Bob Gunn. I, I did want to just. Uh, yeah, piggyback on what you're saying earlier. Uh, Morgan Freeman, Tim Robbins. I, what, I, for me, them two together. Um, I think these are two of my favorite performances from both these actors. I think. Mm-hmm. Um, I know it's, uh, you know, about Tim Robbins' character, but Morgan Freeman, I think, uh, kind of steals the show on this <laughs> on all the scenes with. I guess because the narration and how he portrays mm-hmm. his character and everything. And then the end, the the final act of him tracking him down and all that other stuff when he got out and everything. So, um, 
Yeah. Whatever happened to Bob Gunn? Guy who played the, the, the warden? Warden. He was like the 90s asshole. He was the prick in Demolition Man. He was a prick in in uh, uh, Broken Arrow. He, he was just always playing. He, he played such a good asshole. He was sort of like William Atherton or Paul Gleason or something like that. He was just a guy who got typecast as a dick. And I haven't seen him in forever. Uh, I'm looking right now. But he was, but he was, he was really good at the warden. Like I really hated him. He was so, he was very religious. So he he was very self righteous. Uh, yeah, he's just a, a total prick. He was in Daredevil. Lee Pear. Yeah. Huh. Daredevil, Daredevil. Yeah, this the show. Yeah. Oh yeah, he was in that. Yeah. Briefly, isn't he? Is he? Is he the guy that Kingpin like? No, is he the guy who smashes in the car door or not? Anyway, that guy was, he was perfectly cast as that dick warden. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just thinking of the music. You should play some of the <laughs> score while we're talking about this. Uh, but, yeah, and uh, actually the lawyer, the prosecuting lawyer who's sending Andy Dufresne, he's in Walking Dead. He's that old guy who dies. He had the camper in, like, season one and two. Oh, he played Dale in Walking Dead. Dale, yeah, yeah. that guy. hated him. Uh, yeah, he's like the lawyer. Yeah, you see, Frank Durban uses all of his... I think he was also in uh, The Mist. He uses all his... Andrea is also mm-hmm. in The Mist. Yeah. Uh, God, these are such, like, season one and two names. <laughs> Don't worry, they're not around yeah. anymore, so... It's okay. Yeah, Sam Witwer, who was a zombie in the first season, he's also in The Mist. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. He, he was the one... He was the, the, the walker in the tank. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So he's also, So there's another connection. Yeah. Huh. But what about Frank Darabont? I mean, he did Green Mile after that, and that was pretty good. And the Miss, eh. And then, what else has he done lately? He did that uh, movie about Enzo Ferrari, right? Uh, no, we, no, that was a movie he did in Entourage. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> he played, sometimes I get confused. Are you, like, minute, just, Cameron... are, are you talking about just directing, just directing-wise? Yeah. Uh, he's done four episodes of Mob City. That was back in 2013. Meh. I don't even know what the fuck that yeah, is. That's the, that's his last that's his last directing directing credit. Uh, really, that's a shame. He was a good director. Let's see. Like I said, he directed one of the best movies ever made, Shawshank. Yeah, um, Shawshank, Green Mile, The Majestic, uh, Mist. That's it. Yeah. And then, dude, what happened to this dude? Yeah, I don't know. What did AMC do to him? <laughs> man, they they broke him up. Frank Darabont. <laughs> oh man. Okay. Now it's a cliche to say like, oh, the movie's better than the book. It's how it, I mean, the book's better than the movie. That's almost always the case, and I agree. Although in this instance, though, I think the movie's actually better than the book because it makes some. It makes a few changes. It it takes little things in the book and fleshes them out in the whole scenes. The character of Brooks, the old guy, mm-hmm. um, he's only briefly mentioned, uh, but he's given a real character in this scene, and it really shows what to be institutionalized is, that he kills himself when he gets out in the world, that he's threatening to kill William Sadler just to stay in. Yeah. Like, none of that was in the book. The movie made it to emphasize that point. Things like that. They, they flesh things out. Uh, in the book, the bird... As, uh, Red says, like, oh, there was this guy here named Brooks. He used to keep a bird. And then after he got out, I found the the bird dead over by the plate shop a week later, dead as a dog turd. Like, the bird just died without the guy. I was like, well, that's a bummer. <laughs> <laughs> but the thing that I love most about what the movie did is, oh, Tommy, the character, the young guy who knows that Andy's innocent. Oh, yeah, yeah. 
played by God, I forget the guy's name. Gil uh, Bellows. He was Gil Bellows. Yeah, yeah, he was in Ally McBeal. In the book, instead, when Andy goes to the hole, he finds out that Tommy got transferred to a lower security prison, and he realizes he made a deal with the warden. He sold Andy out. Whereas in the movie, he's like, just give me that chance to testify, and then they kill him. Mm-hmm. A, it shows Tommy was re- willing to stand by Andy, which makes him a better character. It shows that the warden is much more ruthless mm-hmm. for having killed him. It's like, dude, that, that just works better than it did in the book. Yeah. You know? The movie just really improved things. But the thing it did best is in the book, Andy, before he went to jail, had a dude set up like some trust fund thing to earn money. So he had money waiting out on the outside that he set up on his own. And then he escapes. And the warden is just like, oh, darn it. You got away, Andy, and I'll just retire with my money. He didn't kill himself. And I love that, A, he killed himself. I love that Andy stole the warden's money yeah. in, from him, and then the warden killed himself. Like, that just plays so much better. It Yeah, this the movie changed the book in so many ways for the better. Yeah, it's such a satisfying ending, too, because... Yeah, you know, so good. Yeah, who the yeah. who the warden is, and he gets his comeuppance, and and yeah, like, no comeuppance like for him. Andy's, he gets away with it. Andy's been playing him the whole time, and outsmarting him, and all this other stuff, and yeah, it's, it's so good. <laughs> it's, it wraps up so perfectly, and <laughs> I like to think the last thought that or the last thing that went through the warden's head, other than that bullet, <laughs> is how Andy is how Andy get a frame got the best of him. Like, oh, that's so good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Get busy living, or get busy dying. That's goddamn right. For the second time in my life, I'm guilty of committing a crime. Parole violation. Of course, I doubt they'll toss up any roadblocks for that. Not for an old crook like me. Fort Hancock, Texas, please. I find I'm so excited I can barely sit still or hold a thought in my head. I think it's the excitement only a free man can feel. A free man at the start of a long journey whose conclusion is uncertain. I hope I can make it across the border. I hope to see my friend and shake his hand. I hope the Pacific is as blue as it has been in my dreams. I hope. Yeah, a, a great movie, wonderfully cast, beautiful performances. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it, like I said, it's one of the rare, rare occasions where I think the movie is better than than the book story. Although it's a really good book, too. It's only, like I said, they're short, a couple hundred pages each. Yeah. They're all worth a go. But Shawshank Redemption, man. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, great movie. And, um... Great flick. <laughs> great flick. Great freaking flick. <laughs> <laughs> the guy is brilliant. <laughs> Rockheimer in the Bible. What did I tell you? <laughs> the guy is brilliant. <laughs> so, um, since we're talking about how good this is, I wanted to say uh, IMDb has it 9.3 out of 10. And, uh, so that's high enough as it is. I mean, basically. But, um... Rotten Tomatoes even has it. Uh, critics ninety percent and audience is ninety eight percent. So ninety percent. What critic is going to say this is not a great movie? Exactly. Fucking loser. He should be fired. <laughs> <laughs> well, 
line up any any ten guys in this town, and and eight of them will tell you this movie's brilliant. The other two will be stupid. <laughs> oh. So yeah, that was the first one of this trilogy of 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 movies we'll be talking about from 1994. The next one in in the series, uh, Apt Pupil. Apt same pupil. same title for both. Okay. Apt Pupil. Yeah. Had you ever seen this one before? I think I saw it like bits and pieces. Um, I never like sat down and actually watched it from beginning to end. And mm, did uh, you like it? Yeah. Not really. <laughs> and, really? Uh, mainly being because uh, I didn't like. Uh, was it what's his name? Brad Renfro. Yeah, Brad Renfro. Yeah, playing Todd. Uh, what's his last name? Bowden. Bowden. Todd Bowden. Todd Bowden. Todd Bowden. Yes, that's what's his name. Yeah. Now. Ian McKellen, he's great, but this the Brad River, he's but it's not just him, the actor. I think his character that he's playing to me was just so unlikable, just from the start. I guess I, I don't know. I just <laughs> what's not what what do you got against him? He's just a psychopath. He's a Nazi. <laughs> I know, right? What don't you like about him? <laughs> Crazy me, right? Um, but yeah, it's just weird. It's like so he gets his his fingerprints and photographs of him. And then he's uh, just to, I guess, bribe him into or blackmail him into telling him what it was like to be a Nazi during the war. Mm-hmm. I, I I don't know. It's just I mean, yeah, granted, the guy was a Nazi, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> I don't. But the guy the the guy who's wanting to find out about the who was the bad guy, like he's just as bad. Like he's basically making his life miserable. Uh, and turn him, re- making him revert back into a Nazi, basically. Look, it was okay. So it sounds to me like you're saying you don't like the character of Todd because he's kind of an asshole and he's a dick. Yeah. But the character of Dusander or Dinker, whatever you want to call him, he was a fucking Nazi. Yeah, I know. You're saying that's... you like his character. Well, no, well I think I like the performance of Ian, Ian McKellen, and I think that's the the like both of them are unlikable characters, but Ian McKellen's performance. I, I like as an unlikable character, whereas Brad Renfro, I just didn't like him at all. <laughs> I don't know if oh. that makes any sense, but I just uh, when you when you're not, when I you thought he did okay when as, you can't as get an behind, actor for a young actor. Yeah, when you can't get behind the person playing the characters, it's kind of hard to to get into the movie for me. It's just, uh, yeah, okay, no, I I thought he I thought he was cast fine. I thought he did a good job in the characters. I had I had no I had no beef uh, with with Brad Renfro in that in that role. And once they were in the chamber, how long did it take? Like a minute, five minutes? Ah, the prostate acid took about 15 minutes. But the monoxide could take an hour, sometimes more. What happened to them? I mean, exactly. It was a mess. They would lose control of their bodies. They vomited, urinated, and defecated themselves. Even though the gas came in from the vents in the ceiling, they would climb on top of each other, desperately reaching for fresh air that wasn't there. They died in a mountain of themselves. What about the children? On the bottom. Ian McKellen, uh, surprisingly, he didn't really like this movie or this character. 
He was like, there's nothing to the guy. He's evil, but okay. Like, that was it. Like, there was nothing to explore about him. There was no arc. There was nothing. Yeah. <laughs> Ian, Ian was a little bored with this. But uh, this, uh, this was directed by Brian Singer. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is where he met Ian. And I guess they both uh, uh, forged a working relationship or frame, maybe over their love of cock and balls. Because uh, <laughs> he did go on to cast Ian McKellen as Magneto when he directed uh, X Men a couple years later. Ironically, and, and Todd Bowden's yeah, yeah playing a Jewish yeah. concentration camp survivor, a survivor. Yeah, and uh, and and Todd Bowden's dad, Bruce Davidson, he cast him as Senator Robert Kelly. I don't know if you recognized him. Oh yeah, I knew I knew uh, Bruce Davidson. I didn't know he was. Oh, you're talking about in the movie? He's his dad. I thought you were talking yeah, about Brad, I thought you were talking about like Fred Renfro's father. Fred Renfro's dad, Bruce Davis. Davis. Like, no, just in the movie, but, but I mean, he, I he took two actors from this and cast them in X Men yeah. a couple years later. Is what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think it's a pretty good ad- as far as like just story wise and everything like that. I think it's it's adapted pretty well. Do you like David Schwimmer? It was sort of weird at the time. He was he was in the middle of Friends when he was in this movie. Yeah. It, was, it, was, like, it, it is kind of weird, weird seeing. Him. Yeah, it's weird seeing him. Uh, someone else was supposed to play him, but he's he. Uh, he saw David Schwimmer doing something uh, like a play or something, and he immediately like switched it to, to I can't remember who was originally supposed to play that guidance counselor. Um, yeah, I mean, when you're a TV actor, that's what you do in the off season. You, you film a movie or you do a play, yeah. or you, you know, you do a little something. And he he did this, and I was like, well, that's good for him. He's trying to shake, uh, trying to get out of the sitcom role. He wanted to try something a little risky, and yeah, I was like, that, that's cool. Made me respect him a bit more because other than Friends, he hasn't done a whole lot of. Stuff. Yeah, his career. I don't, I don't think his career ever like really took off after Friends. Like he does some stuff yeah. here and there, but that's, I mean, he's he was in Band of Brothers, wasn't he? He was in one of those things. I think he was. Yeah, I th- I'm pretty sure he was. He was like this this dick, this dickhead lieutenant. I think it's been a long time since I've watched it. Yeah, what is he doing now? He did, he's actually he you know uh, he's there's that new uh, the Peacock streaming app. That uh, the NBC oh with Walton Goggins oh or, or never mind what is no he's the unicorn that's the show he's on yeah no the, the, it's the NBC streaming app where it has the Saved by the Bell reboot and the Punky Brewster reboot and all that other bullshit uh, but there's a the rebooting Punky Brewster yeah with Salil Mufry mm-hmm. yeah oh, she's a mom she look? just looks good she looks good. <laughs> she still look good Freddie I think uh, Freddie Prince Jr is playing her husband in the show um. But it's all about her kids and stuff. So I anyway, the point is like there's another show that's coming out for it, and David Schwimmer he's he's in the show. So okay, oh good for him. Yeah. No, I thought this was an interesting story of of this kid who finds this um, yeah this this Nazi guy, and and it it's like he was content to just sit in a house and drink whiskey and probably die, but by forcing him to. to recount all these stories it's like he brought something back up mm-hmm. this insatiable urge to kill so he starts like killing homeless people he, he brings elias coteas to his house to murder him because just talking about this stuff it's like he he awoke something in in this nazi criminal which is pretty scary too and in the book uh he does it several times he, he kills like three or four bums and the the boy uh, he starts killing bums himself. He just starts beating them to death with hammers and stuff like that. Like, there's new, like, is there a serial killer in Santa, Santa Donato? You know, they're they're both killing people at at, at the same time. Oh, so it's it goes sort of okay. So it kind of goes a little ta- further out, right? Okay. Yeah, in tandem. Yeah. yeah. It, when he when he when he calls him and he says like, you know, you have to. 
I hope you're... He sort of implies that he knows... He suspects that Todd's been killing bumps, too. He's like, I don't think this is such unfamiliar territory that you're going to have to kill this guy in the basement. He sort of knows that Todd's been doing it, too. And, uh, again, the book has a way better ending, and I think I read that Brian Sanger changed it to something much more simple because he's like, oh, I couldn't do that ending justice. I was like, well, at least, at least you know your limitations, dude. Well, it's, it's funny you, you say it like that because I heard about the original ending where he's being, he's being, uh, where David Schwimmer's character comes in and he confronts him and everything about what mm-hmm. happened. And in the book, doesn't he like, he kill him, he kills him and he starts like yeah, killing he's, off. He has this 2020 rifle. And he's gotten in this habit of going to this underpass and just dry firing at people, just fantasizing about murdering people. So he's cleaning his rifle when David Schwimmer shows up, and yeah, he basically blows him away, blows half of his head off, and he, he even says like, "Wow, he died. He had to shoot him three times." He's like, "Wow, he died hot. He died hard for a guidance counselor." So he bikes to the overpass with all of his ammo, and it was, and it sort of just basically says, "It wasn't until dark that the cops were able to take him down." I but I kind of like the uh, the. The way the movie ended, where it, that he got away with it. Well, not that he got okay. So because it, it, it kind of circles back to the conversation that he had with Ian McKellen's character, the front where he where he, he finds out Ian McKellen's actually ends up blackmailing him for what was he what was he doing? Um, well, he he pretends to be his grandfather and he goes to the school. That's and it. He so he has that on him now. He's like, now there's a link. Now people know. Now you were complicit in my lies. Yeah. And, and, you know, and, and Todd's like, well, I'll just tell the reporters I know anything about it. And he's like, can you do that? Lie to reporters and judges? You'd have to be brilliant. Can you do that? I know I can. Because <laughs> he's done it before. So the, uh, but the, I like that scene. But it comes back, I think to me, it felt like to me it came back full circle at the end where he's basically giving that same speech to the to David Schwimmer's character where, where basically now I have that on, now I have something. Oh. Because it's about the. Oh, yeah. Because it was about him, he shook his hand, or he was alluding to the fact you that... Your, you gave me your home number. Yeah. What is that about? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. No, that is cool. Yeah, it's like, oh, how the turntables... How the tables have turned. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that Looks like the upper hand is on the other foot. Um, <laughs> yeah, he sort of basically just sort of bluffs David Schwimmer down and gets him to just leave yeah. and, and keep shut about it all. Which is stuff that he learned and, by being with E. McKellen's character. So I thought to me it made more sense that in that well, he's a he's a very apt pupil. Exactly. Thank you. There you go. There you go. That goes in with the title of the movie. Yeah. <laughs> oh, where him where but, as opposed to the book, or if he's just gonna go like shooting people randomly in the freeway, it's like, ah, eh, that's yeah, he's a psychopath, he's a killer, but that isesn't really solve anything it well, isn't, it isn't also i mean it doesn't no it doesn't really solve anything but i like that he i like that he does that route because he is this close to getting nailed by the cops in the book in the movie joe morton and the other guy they're like you know you think the kid knows anything nah the kid doesn't know nothing in the book they have all the evidence they need they found the bums they have fingerprints they have uh, another bum comes in the police station and he's like, when he was sleeping you know he uses newspapers to wrap himself he saw a picture of todd bowden saying oh he was a a star pitcher or whatever. He's like, that's the kid who killed the bums. So they have witnesses. They basically got hit by the balls. Mm. And the whole interrogation scene, they're feeding Todd false information. And Todd's jumping on it to clear his name. But really, they're just entrapping him. So they would have brought... He, Todd would have gone down anyways. So he, instead, he opts to sort of just go on a killing spree instead. Which So it kind of works out 
from a story point in that way. You're talking about like in, con- it was either he- in context, right? In story, story. Yeah, context. it was either go to jail or he's like, fuck it, I'm just going to kill as many people as I can and probably die too. Like that was, that was sort of the route he chose to do. Do you think, uh, well, no, that's a year before. Never mind. Because this came out in what, 98, right? Yeah, 98. Okay. I'm just, Columbine was what, 99? Right. Yeah. I'm just thinking, think I'm just graduated. thinking maybe that if that was the same time frame, maybe they didn't want to go the route of showing some dude like, Taking people I think, up. I mean, it would have increased the budget to have a big action yeah. sequence with cop cars and shooting and all that kind of yeah. stuff. You have to close yeah. down the freeway and everything like that. And I think, like I said, this is a very small production. And uh, and Brian Singer was like, oh, I, just, I could do it just as What the fuck does that mean? <laughs> but it's a pretty good ending. And Sander does kill himself. He blows he just mm. air yeah. into his heart. You know, I think in the book he takes pills. Um but, uh, yeah, the fact that he went through everything to get away with it, and then he was brought down by just by being in the room next to a survivor. Is that in the book? Yeah. I got it. Okay. I don't know how it comes across in the book, but in the movie, there's like – I have it written down my notes here that this guy, he must have the most recognizable face ever because we're talking like how many years have passed since all this mm-hmm. – and this guy that's in the bed next to him, what, maybe 10 feet away from him, maybe, he looks in the corner of his eye, being sick on drugs, medication, being ill. Like, he recognized this dude immediately. And that's that's the second instance movie. Well, not immediately. It, t- it took him, like, a few days of sitting next to him, and then it hit him. Although, just, just for context in the book, one of the nurses... Uh, recently got engaged or something like that, and she's in the room, and and, Art, and Duke Sanders like, oh my god, tell us everything, omit nothing, and he says that to her, and then it's like a long while later that that the guy Morris, he has a different name in the in the movie, he's he's playing that, tell me everything, omit nothing. That was something he would tell the Jews when he was interrogating them, like who smuggled the bread, tell me everything, omit nothing. It was like the phrase that John. Okay, so remember. see if that was in the movie, I wouldn't have a problem with it. <laughs> but no, in the movie, I'm telling you, the the cops come in and question whatever, and they as they walk away, the the guy that's sitting on the bed, he he just turned like he sees him in the corner of his eye. It's like a one time thing. He like he gets up in the middle of the night, he goes over and looks at him, and like oh he freaks out and everything. But I'm, I'm, there's that instance, and then there was the the very like beginning of the movie where. Uh, he's on the like he's getting on the bus, and that's when uh, Todd sees him for the first time or something. And he's like he catches the side of his face as he's walking by, because he's wearing a black slicker, which looks very SS. Again, there's like a little detail that helps jog Todd's memory. Had he not been wearing that specific kind of raincoat that looked like an SS uniform, so yes, maybe the movie didn't translate all those details. You just start. It's like a special disbelief that he's just got one of those faces. <laughs> I guess I don't know, like, but me as a just watching the movie. Solid for the first time. I'm like, what the f- like? How does everybody recognize this guy? <laughs> How does he recognize this guy from 40 years like, pictures from 40 years old? Because I needed for the movie to happen. Well, okay then. You know, you just gotta just gotta buy that. Need you get off my back about that? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh. Oh, very good recollections. Um. No, I mean those didn't bother me again. Probably because I sort of knew. I, by the time I saw this movie, I had read the book, uh, so I sort of just knew the beats that had to happen for the story to happen. So, th- so those didn't really bother me as much. And like I said, they're fleshed out and, and explained a little bit better in the book, things like that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Todd is a real. I mean, other than the scene where he like kills the bird with the basketball in the movie, 
there's not a whole lot to imply that he's all that fucked up. Whereas in the movie, I mean, in the book, yeah, he kills, he, he kills people. He's just all, he, he's dating a girl that he can't fucking stand just because he's trying. He's, he's sort of like um, Patrick Bateman mm. in American Psycho. The way he dates Reese Witherspoon's character just because he wants to appear normal, even though he can't fucking stand her. He has a girl who's, he, he hates her, his girlfriend, but he dates her just because he's trying to appear normal because he's trying to act normal. You know, he's, there is a little bit of parallels to Patrick Bateman. He, on the surface, he's the all-American boy. He's salutorian. He's, he's, he's a pitcher. He's an all-star pitcher. You know, he's got, he's got everything going for him like that. But inside... But inside, you know, he's totally fucked up. He's like a little bitty. He's like little little American Psycho, like L I L apostrophe American <laughs> Psycho. Um, and and yeah, th- this is a better book than it is a movie. But I don't think it's a bad movie. And yeah, it's mostly anchored by Ian McKellen, who's who's he's always great. But he's great in this too. Yeah. yeah. Um, and he was only like in his late fifties when he did this. He was like, oh, "Why do you want me to play this guy?" I'm like, "I'm not that old yet." <laughs> you know. <laughs> But you look it. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, so this uh, this movie, yeah, box office wise, didn't do too well. Uh, eight point eight million dollars box office, not so good. Um, what was the budget? Do you know? Uh, I, I can't imagine it was a whole. Yeah, lot. I don't. I don't have that number. I just have the the box office. Uh, eight eight million. So, um, IMDb came in six point seven out of ten. Rotten Tomatoes fifty three percent from critics, fifty six for audience. So, I guess everybody split. <laughs> Everybody split on if they like this movie or not. So, uh, I liked it. I, I would put it in the. I mean, I own it. <laughs> you know, uh, it had a fourteen million dollar budget, so it's not a lot, okay. but yeah. so I actually lost money big time. So, mm-hmm. well, I mean, this is back in the day when uh, video sales and stuff. I, mean, I bet it recouped a chunk of change. I mean, that's how I discovered it. I didn't see it in the theater. Yeah, I think. Um, I think maybe once Brian Singer, well, I mean, he did, he did usual usual suspects first, and then he did this. You would think just on the on the hype of the guy who did usual suspects next next movie on the trailer, it people, says from the director of Usual Suspects. Yeah, <laughs> you think that might have gotten some some more bass? Although that was more of a critical indie darling too. It wasn't like a mass mm-hmm. hit. I think all that eight million it earned was probably from people who saw Usual Suspects and liked. <laughs> Could have been actually, yeah. And the trailer, oh, it's a Nazi. I mean, it doesn't like, oh, let's go check out that movie about the Nazi. <laughs> what, do you, what do you say, honey? Why do you want to see that movie? Are you a Nazi? No, not at all. You know, who wants to be the guy who suggests let's go see the Nazi movie? <laughs> what and uh, Ian McKellen was it a big name back then? Was he like? Wh- no, what did he... I think he really became a household name with X Men: yeah. Lord of the Rings. Yeah, yeah. And then it became like that bumped him to the A list. So there's not but like yeah, this was so the, there's not a big director at the time. There's not a big writer. There's not a big actor. Like there's nobody associated with this movie to make people want to go out and check it out. You could you could you could market it on the hype of Stephen King. Yeah, I mean that that you, you would think that would help get some. Although I mean his name gets thrown around so fucking much, <laughs> it's almost hit or like like shit. Like he as far as the adaptation goes. It's almost neck and neck with with, with good and bad ones. Mm. You know, he's got some really bad adapt adapt ad, films, whatever credited to his names. You know, Tommy, uh, what was it, Langleyers, or, yeah. or uh, recently we got that dark, that shitty Dark Tower. You know, mm-hmm. yeah. he's got a lot of bad ones too. Yeah, I haven't seen it chapter two yet, but uh, have you? Oh my god, yeah, it's horrible. 
Okay, that says <laughs> yeah. horrible. I heard not great things about it. Yeah, yeah, and I and I enjoyed the first one, but the second one, oh my god, really? Yeah, hmm. I had to like force myself to finish. I think it. I'd, yeah. I'd have to revisit the first one before I tackle the second one because I don't remember anything about the first one. I saw like once, and I was like, that's fine. Yeah, and I again, that's another book I started. And I was like, this is nothing like the miniseries. So I, I gave it up because I wanted it to be just like, where's Tim Curry? I, so I, I gave it Plus, it's like a thousand pages. And I was I was probably in junior high at the time. So I was like, uh. Yeah. <laughs> Didn't have the endurance. But I, I don't know. I, okay. Uh, out of t- okay. Out of 10, where do you, uh, where do you give out of 10 dead uh, crows? What do you give Shawshank? Oh, Shawshank. Okay. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I desire I want to rank them all, but let's go back. Okay. Um, I'll go uh, nine. I want to say nine out of ten. Eh, ten out of ten. No, uh, nine out of ten. No. Yeah. I'm gonna go ten. Yeah. Ten. <laughs> Fucking ten. <laughs> uh, no, like I said, the the score is great. The acting's great. The performances. The the casting. Uh, the story. The way it's structured. Um, I can't. I can't find anything wrong with it, really. I can't even say, like, maybe recast that guy. Or maybe just change this scene. I would not change a thing about Shawshank Redemption. I think it's, it's yeah, it's arguably a perfect film. So I'll give it 10 out of 10. Um, at Pupil, out of 1 to 10 dead stew bums, what do you give this movie? I give it, uh... uh let's give it a 4. We'll give it f- a 4. We'll give it 4 dead Casey Jones. Yes. <laughs> <Aww>. <laughs> I didn't. I don't know. I just didn't. I didn't care too much for it. That's fair. I'm not gonna. Uh, I'd probably give this. A, I'd give this like a seven. Really? Okay. All right. Yeah. I mean, it's not like it's not an interim. No, it's a. I, I think it's a solid story. Well done. Uh, yeah, a seven, maybe six or seven. Yeah, seven dead stew bums. Yeah. I could probably go up to five. But. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> Oh, jeez! Get off this movie's dick. <laughs> okay, so we come to the third story in the book. It's called "The Body." Yes, but uh, I guess that title didn't play, and it's not a great title. Mm. It's kind of vague. It almost sounds like it's like a a, a a steamy, sexual, you know, sort of like a. Body of Evidence, Color of Night, Fatal Attraction, Basic Instinct type. Something uh, you'd watch on Cinemax at midnight, right? Yes. <laughs> the erotic, you would find it in the erotic drama section of your blockbuster, you know what I mean? So they changed it from the body. I guess they got the rights to the Beatty King song, Stand By Me, which is a great song, so they call it Stand By Me. Uh, literally, what does that mean in the context of the film? Like, Chris Chambers, will you stand by me? What is it? it doesn't really make a lot of sense. Yeah. Outside the context of it's the title of the song that they play in the movie. It, it, yeah, other than the fact that it's a, it makes for a good title, especially whenever you accompany it with the song. But if you didn't have the song to go with the movie, it, yeah, it, it really... Yeah, it wouldn't make much sense. <laughs> <laughs> but they didn't want to go with the body, so they went with this. Uh, I saw this in the theater when I was a little kid. And I, so I was probably like six or seven at the time. It came out in 86. Yeah. Probably seven, and I loved it. I thought it was so great. My I had no idea what it was. My dad, he just took me and my brother to the movies, and we ended up seeing this one. I guess so. I guess it was really his idea. I was too young to have any say, 
Um, and I was so surprised. Like, there's so much cussing in this movie. <laughs> in fact, this movie, quick funnels, it, they say the word pussy like a hundred fucking times in this movie. I never heard that word before in my life. So I come home the next day and I'm just saying it all over the fucking place. <laughs> and my dad's like, what are you doing? What? Like, why are you saying that? I don't know. <laughs> like, what do you? What is? Do you know what that means? Like, I don't know. I just heard it in the movie. <laughs> He's like, ah, oh, shit. Okay, come over here. Boys and girls are different. I basically got a burst oh, in the bees no. <laughs> because I just kept saying pussy around the house so fucking much <laughs> because of this movie. And my dad like knew it was his fault, so he couldn't really bust me on it. Don't tell your mother. So yeah, <laughs> I, yeah, I got a, this movie is is part of my life. Part of my childhood, part of my upbringing, it is defined me as a man <laughs> and as a person. <laughs> Growing up, me and my brother and our next door neighbors were also brothers. Uh, they were about the same age. We were a quartet of boys growing up together. So obviously, this movie, Goonies, Lost Boys, any movie about kids, and particularly quartets, even, uh, really spoke with us. We always talked about going on little adventures like this. What if you found a body? Sometimes, you know, they'd spend the night. In the middle of the night, we'd go riding our bikes all around town. Three in the morning, we're like nine years old, <laughs> hoping to find a dead body or something. We would talk about that. Like, what if we found a Willy One-Eyed Willie's treasure or the body of Ray Brower or all this kind of stuff? It made us think like it was okay for little kids to go on adventures like that. Watching, Growing up watching Goonies and Stand By Me and shit like right, that. Right, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so we would do that, yeah. So yeah, this this movie more than it, more than a lot of these movies we've ever even talked about on this podcast uh, really got into me as a child, as a kid. So I'm not even talking about the movie. Yet. I'm just talking about how how the movie's affecting me. Did you see this when you were a kid, a little kid? I did. It wasn't in the theater, um, so it had to have been rough after it came out in the theater. After it was on the home video, maybe eighty, maybe when did it? Eighty-seven, eighty-eight, maybe. I was still young. I was still a kid, uh, mm-hmm. but I, I remember. Um, a lot of stuff, uh, I remember recollect a lot of my memories from watching this movie for the first time. Uh, you know, just the mo- just hearing the song, Stay My Me, uh, Lollipop, when they're doing, you know, they're doing the little thing on the, <laughs> boom, 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 yeah. Uh, the, dude, when I was a kid, um, uh, I don't know about you, I'll be honest, the leeches scene scared the shit out of me. <laughs> it freaked me out, man. Oh. If, I don't know. Huh. I don't know why. It just did. Maybe because, I don't know. They were, uh, maybe because I didn't know what leeches were at the time, and I was like, what the hell is this? And then uh, one guy didn't. You know what? That one didn't freak me out, because I never, like, Jaws freaked me out, because we would go to the beach all the time. We never went to lakes. Yeah. We never went, I never swam in fresh water until I was, like, way old. Yeah. <laughs> and I started, like, tubing down the river, you know? So, yeah, fre- it, it's it's stupid. It sounds weird to be, like, a little kid who knows the difference between, like, fresh water and salt water. Uh, <laughs> But yeah, like Jaws scared the fuck out of me because we'd go to Corpus Christi and all the all the fucking or South Padre Island all the fucking time. Yeah. So I was scared to go in the water as a little kid. But the leeches never scared me because we never went to rivers or lakes or ponds. I remember or, or streams. Kiefer or tributaries. Kiefer scared me. <laughs> Kiefer Sutherland is really fucking scary in this movie. He is such a good asshole. Yes. When he steals the hat from Gordy, and he's like, ooh, your brother's not very polite, I boy, and he's about to burn. Oh, fuck, I hated him. Mm-hmm. As Ace, he was so good as a villain. And if you know Kiefer Sutherland, who's kind of a quiet, mm-hmm. soft-spoken guy, you're like, wow, he's a really fucking good actor. <laughs> and I saw, the, I was reading the trivia that he he didn't really hang around on set when the kids were on set. Right, yeah. Or when he did, he was actually mean to them. 
and the kids hated him and were scared of him and because he wanted to inform the performance a little bit so he was like a prick to all these little kids yeah so i was like there he's getting a little bit method acting in there too uh yeah keep Kiefer Sutherland was really fucking good in this movie you guys have two choices you either leave quietly we take the body or you stay we beat the shit out of you we take the body this is another movie like we're talking about Shawshank and the cast is so good I think this is another movie where the cast is just uh just knocks it out I think uh yeah the chemistry between the kids uh and granted we got what River Phoenix we have a uh, Will Wheaton uh, we have. Uh, Why are you saying it like that? <laughs> <laughs> what are you talking about? I'm saying it. Um, yeah, uh, Corey, Feldman Corey Feldman and Miss and Mr. Rebecca Remain Stamos. Yes, Jerry O'Connell. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I mean, those the the chemistry uh, between them worked. Uh, they they came across as real like kids who hung out together, um, and I don't know. It still comes across very well just watching it now. So um, nothing seems like fake or forced or anything. Yeah, and there's, you know, there is always that one, like, the Vern character is always that one kid in the group who's kind of, like, the butt of jokes or shit like that, and, you know, yeah, it did, like I said, we were, I was probably a little bit younger than them, but I kept watching it, so by the time I got to be, like, 10, 11, 12, and I'm still watching this movie, and I'm realizing, wow, this is a really good portrayal, because this is how I am with my friends and things like that, and it's even, there's even this line, pretty much at the very end, where he's narrating, he says, like, you know, Vern and... And Teddy, we still hung out with them in school until one day we didn't. Mm-hmm. And they became just another nameless face in the hallway. And that happens with friends sometimes. Friends come in and, in and out of your life, like busboys in, in a restaurant, you know? And yeah, there's kids, like, in school. I mean, I, I moved schools when I was, like, 11. So I, I, I sort of lost the, the concept of being friends with somebody in elementary or junior high who comes senior year. You don't even really talk to them anymore, you know? Yeah. But I, I, I sort of understand that a little bit, and that's a really great pointy way to describe how when you're young like that, friendships kind of come and go, and they, they fall apart, disappear, you know, and you just, yeah, we were hanging out because we were proximity friends, yeah. and then, you know, I got transferred to this, and now we just don't talk anymore. Yeah, I think there's a line at the very end uh, when uh, he's saying, uh, as, a, as an adult, he's saying, did it... You know, having friends, I never had friends like that before or since. And he says, did anybody, Jesus. yeah, did anybody Jesus. have, does anyone Yeah, have friends when they're like that yeah. when they were 12? So, uh, <laughs> yeah, and that, that kind of hit home too. It's like, shit, you know, cause I did have my, my little group of like three or four friends that I had in our neighborhood that while we always hung out together and everything. But then, yeah, after like junior high, I think people start moving away and I moved away from them. So you don't really and ever since then, you get older, and it's you don't have the same type of friendship. I don't think you do when you were a kid. I mean, when you're little, you bond over, you know, cartoons or toys or, or, or sports or playing games and simple things like that that every kid is into. Every kid likes to play basketball and, and to play cards and or for pennies and things like that. And we all have the same interests. And then we get older and we start to discover who we are as people. And maybe that, and I think that's why people tend to diverge a little bit. Cause we start to, be, to understand a bit more of who we are yeah. specifically. And our friendships aren't just based on, Oh, he lives next door. So we'll be friends. Cause it's a matter of convenience or proximity mm-hmm. the, in the book. Like they say, they, they just hung out at the same clubhouse. There's other kids who come in and out of the clubhouse, but that weekend it was just the four. And they even they even said, like, should we call so-and-so and so-and-so? Like, oh, he's out of town because it's Labor Day weekend and like that. It wasn't like these were the four friends. They were just four friends who happened to be there. 
kind of a thing. Yeah. Out of the four, you have like Gordy, Chris, Teddy, Vern. Do you? Uh, uh, is there any one of them? I was Teddy. Okay. I was... <laughs> well, like like I said, me and my friends, we would always assign. Like I was also Raphael. I was Mouth and Goonies. I was uh, uh, Ned Needlander in Three Amigos. One of us had to be able to walk with them. So we always <laughs> assigned somebody. Like you're this, you're this, you're that. I was assigned uh, Teddy for some reason. I don't know why. I was about to say you're nothing Maybe like him because I was. <laughs> No, I think I was just probably like the the loudest one. Like I was always trying to be. Fun. That's how I got mouth from Goonies. Oh, because I was like I was the loud, goofy, funny one. Uh, that's also how I got Raphael. Because in the cartoon, he's just he, he, nowadays we have the Raphael who's like an ass, like a, a dickhead asshole who's angry all the yeah. time. But in the cartoon, he was just the sarcastic, funny. He's one. just crude and rude. That's all. So, yeah. he's, he's cool but rude. Yeah. So that's how I got Raphael, and that's how I got Mouth. And I think just by the transitive property, I should get Corey Feldman again. So I got Teddy, oh. even though yes, I'm nothing like him. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I couldn't be Chris. I I could have easily been Will Wheaton because I was skinny, but uh, I don't know why. Th- uh, my brother got Will Wheaton. So <laughs> I think I would be. I think I'd be more of a Gordy Will Wheaton. Looking back now, I should have been the Gordy. Yeah. Yeah. Just the kind of more reserve and kind of introspective and, and looking at everything yeah he's always thinking yeah. like that yeah. yeah will wheaton uh what do you think of the kids acting I and mean, they were all pretty young at the time they were like 11 12 13 years old at the time yeah and jerry connell this was his first acting gig yeah and he was he was the youngest one yeah um uh, for i think river was the oldest he was like 13 yeah i think i think for all intents and purposes uh you get that whether they're uh, already had experience or they weren't experienced, I think you get that honesty of them being kids together. And I think like when they weren't filming, I think they said that they spent like bef- like a week before they started shooting, they f- they spent like a week together just hanging out. And yeah. then and then they had yeah. to get some camaraderie yeah. so it feel natural. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. And Rob Reiner, you know, he's an actor too. Mm-hmm. He's one of those uh, actor director actors director. Mm-hmm who understands the craft of an actor so he can approach directing from that, from that method. You know, I think, I think directors who are also actors, I think it, it, it gives them a unique perspective on how to approach it. At least if it's a character film, I mean, if you're directing like a transformers movie, who gives a shit about the actor's performances? It's not about yeah. that, but this is really a character driven performance. You know, guys like, like, like Ron Howard, like that, who used to be an actor who moved into directing chair. And he approached, I mean, because each one of the kids has like, uh, or maybe not so much Vern, but at least the other three have, have each have a scene of, of really vulnerableness, uh, where, you know, where they break down and cry, you know, Teddy's crying about his father, mm-hmm. uh, Will Wheaton's crying about his brother, uh, River Phoenix is crying about just being one of them shitty Chambers kids who's going to amount to nothing, and, and his scene in particular, man, that river where he... I just want to move to another town where nobody knows me. You know, he hates that he's he hates his lot in life that he's been handed. Yeah. You know, and and that sucks. <laughs> that sucks for him, and that's really hard. And and that's a great like, man, River Phoenix. Oh, God, he could have been great. Mm-hmm. You know, he's 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 a good looking kid, man. If you you know, when he grew up, you know, you saw him in in like sneakers and in Indiana Jones three. He's a good looking kid. He had leading man good looks. He had he had the tools. He had the talent. Oh God, he he could have been he could have been one of the great ones. Instead, we got Joaquin, which ain't bad. <laughs> he's, he's all right. 
you know, he went, you know, he just, we have Oscar winner Joaquin Phoenix. Um, he just won one. Did you see Joaquin's acceptance speech at the Oscars? Um, didn't he go all political and stuff and get all, he did. Yeah. He just went, but the thing about it is he didn't folk. He just sort of said like, uh, you know, women's rights and equal rights. He was all over the place. He was like vegan, animal cow rights and this, this, he, he just sort of said a blanket of shit that's wrong in the world. And with no, it was so vague. It was just so, it was just a general, it was sort of like that, the Russell Brand and forgetting Sarah Marshall, like we got to do something. <laughs> we got to do no specific ideology or anything. Just in general, we got to do something about what, about everything, you know? And I think it kind of fell flat and, it kind of lost a lot of people. <laughs> They're like, oh, <laughs> should I applaud that line? I don't know. Yeah, he gets too, I don't want to say political, but he gets too weirded out and too, like, artisty. He's a little Yeah, off. he's too, too too much so to where he just, how's this guy like a mainstream actor, dude? <laughs> uh, well, he's really talented. Yeah. I mean, if you just look at his performances, they'll speak for themselves. It's when you see him in interviews and stuff, you're like, whoa, this guy's... He's a little out there. Yeah, just like stick to the movies, bud. <laughs> yeah. But River, yeah, River was great. Corey, oh, everybody's everybody's really good in this movie. Even the parents, Marshall Bell is the dad. He's like, Marshall Bell was really good at being a dick back in the day, too. <laughs> you know, it should have been you, Gordon. Oh. John Cusack. Yeah, you don't really think about John Cusack being in this movie, but yeah, he's, because he had his a small part. He has two flashbacks. Yeah, and I, I haven't seen the movie in a few years. I went back and watched it. I was like, oh, shit, I forgot John Cusack's in this movie. <laughs> as, as basically like the epitome of what an older brother should be. Ideal, yeah, the idyllic older brother. He's, yeah, he's yeah, there, he's the ideal older brother. You know, he's, he's he sticks up for him and he, you know, like, so Dennis, when you're out there tomorrow, Dad, did you see the story that Gordy wrote? Gordy wrote a story, you know, like. Quit focusing on me. Let's talk about let's talk about Gordy for a second, you know, because mm-hmm. he he knew that the father only focused on him, mm-hmm. and he did his best to remedy that. And then when he died, there was no one else to bridge that gap, and they lost all interest in Gordy. Yep. Which is oh, that's also heartbreaking too to be, you know, the kid your parents don't even care about, you know. <laughs> yeah, and that's and that's the thing about going back to the the character side of this movie is like all the kids. Let me know, Vern. Does Vern have a story arc? Not really. No, he's just. The almost the comic relief of the three, yeah. of the four, I should say. There's yeah. not a big, yeah. There's not a lot to him. He's a little slow. A little bit, you need that levity, I guess, with him bouncing off, bouncing <laughs> off of the uh, the seriousness of what these other characters yeah. are going through. Like they're going through some deep shit. Yeah, he's yeah he he's always one step behind. He never really gets what's going the the seriousness of any situation. You know, yeah. I don't know about a highway glam, but what if Blim? No shit. She looks like a Thanksgiving turkey. And you know, this one time, shut up, Vern. Oh yeah, go on, Gory. You're like he's just so out of touch, out of place. He doesn't get it. <laughs> I lost the call. Forget it, Vern. <laughs> yeah, he never really has anything important to say. Like I said, his only breakdown crying scene, I guess, is when he's being traced by chased by the train. Yeah, yeah. And at the time, I I think they couldn't cry, or they could, they just weren't doing it justice. Mm-hmm. The, the scene and Rob Reiner yelled at them like he was like all these people are here working late and they're tired because of you because you can't do it so we do either do it now and they're like okay yeah. and they broke down crying because they're little kids that's what I'm saying he's an actor he knows how to get the performance out of little kids he talked he took River Phoenix aside during his breakdown scene and he says I saw this interview he was telling him like has there ever been a time where an adult 
let you down. You don't have to tell me what it is, but think about a time an adult like let you down and disappointed you and it hurt you. And, and Chris was like, River Phoenix was like, okay. And then he did the scene and he properly mm-hmm. cried and it's a great scene. Just suppose that I told the story. Me, Chris Chambers, kid brother to eyeball Chambers. Do you think that anyone would have believed it? Oh. And do you think that that bitch would have dared tried something like that if it had been one of those douchebags from up on The View if they had taken the money? No way. Hell no. But with me? Well, I'm sure she had her eye on that skirt for a long time. Anyway, she saw her chance and she took it. I was the stupid one for even trying to give it back. I just never thought. I never thought a teacher. Oh, give a fuck anyway. Yeah, because Rob Reiner knew how... Because working with kids, you know, whenever you see, like, an 11-year-old get an Oscar and you're wondering, like, yeah, is that is that the director or is that the actor? Yeah. Because, I mean, how much can you know about emotion and your craft and all that at, at such a young age? It's really about the director and editing, taking the best cuts you can and, and piecing it together. But that's a long take that, that River Phoenix had, too. And and I think it's all there on screen that he was... I think that's... He had and it. We, we may have seen the same set of interviews or whatever because, yeah, I saw... I, Heard about that one. Then also uh, heard another part of that where Rob Ryder's pointing out that, you know, you have a lot of these these movies focused on kids and you'll have a lot of quick cuts uh, from one going to another just so they can get the best shot possible. And he says, if you mm-hmm. notice, there's a, there's more than one shot in this movie where the kids are walking down, talking, and the shots is still going and they're getting everything they need to do um, in those in those one shots. And, that, and that's a good... You don't really think about that when you watch the movie, but yeah... Um, there's a lot of good shots in this movie of the kids together all doing their lines mm-hmm. together without stopping or without, you know, breaking camera shots, things like that. So says, says something about Rob Reiner as a director, I guess, you know? Yeah, man. I don't We mentioned Rob Reiner a long time ago. Like, dude, in the eighties, that fucker was on fire. He made spinal tap. When Harry Met Sally, The Princess Bride and Stand By Me. I mean, those four movies trump almost any director's catalog. <laughs> And and what has he done since then? You know, North, and uh, <laughs> I mean, he did Misery and, and, and other Stephen King movie. Um, I don't know, man. It's just like, dude, guy was on fire with those with classic after classic of just great, great movies. And he'll always be, he, you know, he's a winner in my book, man. Anybody who makes those four movies, I love the guy. If I ever meet him in person, I'll, I'll gush all over him and call him brilliant. He still acts every once in a while. He was in Wolf of Wall Street, and he was kind of funny. Yeah, that, that, I just was, I just got done watching the movie. Yeah, and his character, he's all cussing he's and everything. Daddy. I was like, holy crap, I never heard him cuss before. <laughs> I was like, it's good to see just that he's still around doing his thing. Yeah. That he can land a gig in a Scorsese movie. Right. Yeah, good for him. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, lo- I love Rob Reiner. I love Carl Reiner. Yeah. Um, uh, but I love Stand By Me. And the, the soundtrack... I mean, not just Lollipop or, or that, you know, it's just, a, it's a great, it's a great soundtrack. It's funny that the, the movie, <laughs> there's a line that Gordy says, it's narrated by Richard Dreyfus, 
who funnily, funny enough, is a childhood friend of Rob Reiner since they were teenagers. I didn't realize their friendship went back all that time. Um, but he cast him as as the, as old Gordy, the narrator. He's he's the voice. He's the Daniel Stern, the Morgan Freeman, if you will, the the voice that carries us throughout the whole picture. And you start to realize that's really important that narrating voice because it's it's sort of what guides you to the mm-hmm. whole movie. Yeah. And if you if you nail that, it really helps the film. And and Richard Dreyfuss is great as a narrator. Uh, but he says in the beginning when when Gordy's buying a detective comic that he was living in a small town in Oregon called Castle Rock. Obviously, the book takes place in Maine because every single Stephen King story takes place in Maine. Yeah. And there is a Castle Rock in Maine, but there is also happens. Basically, the the screenwriters didn't do their research, and they're like Castle, Cast, they're like Castle Rock. Oh, there's one in Oregon. We'll just place it there. Really? Is that what happened? And, and, oh. and Castle, like Castle Rock Entertainment, became Rob Renner's production company. Mm. Called Castle Rock Entertainment. The fucking TV show about Stephen King's interconnected universe is called Castle Rock. Like, Castle Rock is such an important thing in the Stephen King universe, and this movie just kind of fucked it up <laughs> by placing it in Oregon. It's funny that we, you're, you're talking about that because, yeah, when I was going back and revisiting and they said Oregon, I was like, wait, did I hear that? I had to rewind it for a second. It's like, Oregon? Is that right? <laughs> no, like, every, it's, it's famously every Stephen King story, right. for the most part, takes place like at pupil took place in santo donato california but most of them take place in maine yeah. in fact there's a fun line in the book i wanted to mention this during at pupil when uh Dusander is talking to todd Bowden, and he was talking about uh his finances his money and he said this bank uh, uh bought all these stocks for me he was a clever man named uh, he went to jail for murdering his wife a year later. <laughs> so in the in the universe, Andy Dufresne set up Dusander's financial portfolio <laughs> before getting sent to jail. So I mean, you see all this all the time tied together. Even in Stam, I mean, even in the body, I should say, they're like yelling at each other. You're gonna wind up up in Shawshank if you keep this up. You know, they reference the prison down the way, things like that. Oh, okay. Grand, they're all in the same book, so maybe that's why so, he connected them. So all. Stephen so, King was already kind of doing that stuff back in the day, like connecting the picnic. Oh yeah, he's done this for forever. Yeah. There's even when they're talking about Chopper, Chopper, sick balls. There's a line where they say something like Chopper was the most feared dog until so and so's dog went rabbit. Oh, Cujo. And yeah. the name they give is Cujo. Yeah, Cujo. Yeah. And they say that the, the actual name of the I can't. It's escaping me at the moment. But they reference Cujo and things like that. So, yeah, he actually does this a lot in his books. Mm-hmm. He sort of references that they're all sort of in the same universe. Did you watch the uh, the Castle Rock show, TV show? I started it. Yeah. I got like three or four episodes in and I, I couldn't finish it. It sort of felt to me like like it was a it was a show somebody came up with and they couldn't figure out how to market it. Like, hey, what if we just made it in the Stephen King universe and we tweak a few names, tweak a few places? And it felt like the Stephen King thing was an afterthought. You think so? At least the three or four minutes, three or four episodes I got into. Maybe mm-hmm. down the line, it really cements it as Stephen King. But like little things, like they walk into an office of the war and there's a bullet hole on the wall. Yeah. Which again, didn't happen in the book. It was just pure movie. Mm-hmm. So that was it. Like that was sort of all we got. Uh, I don't know. It's, it's, it was weird because there was like a, there was like a facility like underneath Shawshank, and there was like a, a prisoner down there, and he had powers and shit. It was, yeah. It goes, <laughs> it goes out there. Yeah, I, I got some of that. Yeah. Um, and I think the Scott Glenn character was supposed to be he was somebody from one of the books. I can't remember who. 
Like, I figured it out just as I gave up on it. Or I think I gave up, and then afterwards I was like, oh, wait, that's who he was. Like, I figured it out afterwards. It was almost enough to make me go back and watch it, but by then I had turned it back into the library. <laughs> yeah, and I, there, there was a second season, and, and that was supposed to more focus on, like, misery. There is? Yeah, there, it was supposed to focus, like, on misery and things like that, but I I don't know. I just I couldn't get into the. I finished the first season, but by the time the second one came around, I was like, eh, it's whatever. Like I wasn't, I wasn't invested enough to continue yeah. what they were trying to tell. Much like I said, oddly enough, usually I'm a completist and I have to finish something. But with Stephen King's books, I can, I could be like reading it this far in and be like, you know what? I'm not going to finish this book <laughs> and put it away. I can actually do that. I can really do that with other books. Um. <laughs> But yeah, oh, what are we talking oh, about? hey, uh, real quick before we, it uh, sounds like we're, we're basically wrapping up our stand by me talk here. So I want to mention here a couple things. IMDb got it uh, has it at eight point one out of ten, and then the Rotten Tomatoes has ninety one percent critics, ninety four percent audience, and then box office uh, numbers is it ranked in fifty two point two million. So. 52 is not for, bad for mid-80s, 80s yeah for mid 80s yeah. um it's the most out of all three movies okay out of one out of ten dead ray browers what would you get oh i keep giving you dead things <laughs> dead crows dead bone <laughs> dead ray browers <laughs> that wasn't even meant to be a theme uh, i need help so uh, out of one out of ten dead ray browers what do you give this one i would give this 10 pie pukes from Lardass uh, out of 10. So he pukes 10 different times? Sure, we'll go with that. Go. I'm trying to, I'm trying to, I'm trying to be it not as a dead thing. Thank you very much. <laughs> the dead blueberry. Yeah, 10 blueberry pukes. I don't know. Uh, that actually is a point in the book. He's telling the story and then the book stops and it, and then it says, like an excerpt taken from so and so magazine, nineteen ninety six, and then it it plays as the actual story that the character Gordon wrote and published years later. So the writing tone changes a bit because now it's being told from a younger, more less experienced writer as opposed to the the body which Gordon is writing. Mm. Uh, so that's an interesting thing for the for the for the for. The, for for the novella to do is to sort of change it's the same writer but it changes perspectives because now he's like 10 years younger and at this and then there's also another one called like stud city it's a short story that gordy wrote it was like one of the first ones he ever got paid and published for and that's a big chunk of this story it just stops and it tells a story that gordy wrote and at the end of it gordon the writer is like pretty melodramatic huh what can i say i was young and i thought this and he's sort of almost apologizing for the poor quality mm. of this story so this, so the the character of Gordon, in the, you know, if you're thinking of it like he's a real person writing this, not Stephen King, he tells like three stories, like he tells the story of the body, but there's two short stories, one of them being the lard ass, the other one Stud City, and then, but it's at different times in his life, so the writing tone has to change a little bit. So Stephen King has to sort of change how he approaches it, and it's it's kind of an interesting thing to read. Uh, now when I go back, I tend to just skip Stud City, but I do read the Lordass story and it is kind of fun. <laughs> and it does play out almost exactly like it does in the, in the movie, which is a fun little departure also. <laughs> yeah. It's like, so like, Did so lo- totally different from the rest of the movie. Yeah. yeah it, it, let's just stop this movie and tell the whole story for, for like 10 minutes. Yeah. 
But, uh, yeah, Gordy... <laughs> now, uh, speaking about the book, though, the movie is all about Will Wheaton's character because Rob Reiner, at the time, was having a beef with his with with Carl Reiner with his own father and he was he identified with Gordy even though the book is told from Gordy's point of view it's really all about Chris mm-hmm. Chris is really the main character and Gordy's just your humble narrator it, in the book it's Chris who gets the gun out and threatens to shoot Ace and all that right. kind of stuff he's the one who does that stuff. but in the movie they change it to Gordy because Rob Reiner identified more with Gordy and he thought it was Gordy's story so there's little things like that that change um, again, I, th- I think it's, uh, ironically though, it's Gordy who pulls Teddy from dodging the train in the book though. It's not, no, it's the other way around. Chris does it in the movie, but in the book it's Gordy for some reason who pulls Teddy off. From yeah. In the movie the it's Chris. You're saying so in the book it's, uh, it's flipped again. So Gordy's the one that pulls Teddy out of, out of the way. Yeah. In the book. Um, I'm not sure why though. <laughs> now I don't think about it. That was actually probably a. You would think that if Rob Reiner's identifying Gordy, he would have kept that scene, but he made it. No, actually, Chris. I guess you know because I, I thought about that actually when I was when I was seeing the, the uh, overall how the story plays out. Gordy's kind of like the, he's just kind of there. He's not like out there. He's not. I wouldn't say he's like the leader or the group or anything. I think Chris is more. Gordy's more passive. Yeah, he's more passive, and Chris is kind of more the let's keep everything together. And he's he's mm-hmm. kind of the glue to Chris, who always tried to keep the best piece. Yeah. yeah. So early on, it's uh, it's Chris that pull, has to pull Teddy out of the way. But by the time we get to the end of the story, it's now Gordy that's got the nerve to like get the gun and protect Chris. As opposed to Chris, is just, it's always been about him. So to me, in my mind, it made it made a little sense. No, I mean it does. Yeah, no, I mean it. it you could play either way, really, yeah. and it'll work. Uh, I think, but um, yeah, but in the book, it's Chris who 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 takes the. And we don't even meet because, like I said, it's all told from their point of view. We don't even meet the character of Ace until that scene where he walks up at the body. There's no mailbox baseball. There's no. You hold still. You're making me fuck up the snake part where they're carving cobras into their arms and shit like that. Obviously, they fleshed them out more. Or the scene where they steal the hat. Yeah. In fact, there's this one thing in the in the in the special features I was watching, where when when Keeper Sutherland takes the hat off Gordy's head and he tosses it to Eyeball, Keeper Sutherland says, "My first instinct was to put the hat on myself." And Rob Reiner said, "No, like you don't care about the hat. You're not. You're you're not taking the hat because you want it. You're taking it just to fuck with this kid. So you just toss it aside." And then Will Wheaton went to Rob Reiner, and he even said when he had the gun, like, "Why didn't he demand to get the hat back at the end of the movie?" And Rob Reiner said, "Oh, he threw the hat away the second he turned around the corner." <laughs> and you're like, "What a cold bastard this guy is!" And you're like, "Wow, I mean, this is like cool stuff that." That informs the story that I'm glad I'm watching these interviews and stuff to find out. And it shows that Rob Reiner really knew these characters in his head. Mm-hmm. He knew what they were doing, even off screen, so to speak. Yeah. Yeah. He did a great job. Yeah. Mr. Rob as, Reiner. And as a, as a character piece, man, I, I, this one, I think this is going to be, this is going to top it for me. Stay by me and then Shawshank. Uh, but they're both. I push up Stay by me higher, but like I said, it's because. I grew up with this yeah. movie. Like I said, it's part of my DNA. Yeah. So, like, I was maybe a freshman when I watched Shawshank for the first time, but I was 
second grade or something when I watched Stand By Me, and and you're su- at such an impressionable age, and I was these, I, these kids they're cussing like crazy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I was scared to cuss when I was a little kid, even by myself. If I'd accidentally utter a cuss word, I would like <gasps> cover my mouth, look around, like did anybody see? I I used to think stupid was a cuss word. <laughs> When I was like this age, at this age, when I saw this movie, I thought stupid was a cuss word. So you can imagine how fucking blown my mind got when I watched it. Pussy, 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 pussy. <laughs> you full right psycho. <laughs> yeah. Uh, make your draw shit. You four right pile of shit. Pile of shit has a thousand eyes. I was like, holy shit. These ki- <laughs> now, listen to me now. Obviously, I have no qualms about cussing now. Um, but yeah, th- this, it's a great movie. It's a great story. Uh, and it's it's it really tells honestly what it was like when you're a kid. Yeah. Uh, and I I watched this as a kid, and and I I was younger than these characters, and I grew past these characters, and I watch I still watch this all the time, and I realize how well it was done, how how truthful it was, even the harsh truths that they told about how you can be sort of capricious about your friends, and yeah, we're not friends anymore, and that, that's true. Um. Yeah, I put Stand by Me as the best one, the body, if you will. Yeah. Um. And, and that's another my my takeaway from when I just went back and revisited uh, Stand by Me is like, man, because of the age of these kids and and every, the story that they're telling, this is essentially a timeless movie because everybody's going to be that age. Everybody's going to be able to relate <laughs> to what their what uh, friendship as with kids and everything and, and growing up. So yeah. Uh, Wonderful story. Uh, yeah, I feel lucky that I got this movie growing yeah. up. Kids today, what do they got? Stranger Things? Yeah. <laughs> Guess that's okay. <laughs> you know, good ed- going on adventures into the underthink. That ain't no fucking finer Ray Brower, I can tell you that. <laughs> we had we had finer Ray Brower, man. That's what we had. You guys, you guys go find Demogorgons, <laughs> losers, <laughs> or, or Bill Skarsgård's Pennywise's. We had Tim Curry Pennywise's. Right. <laughs> Again, I was in sixth grade. I was, I guess, 11 when the miniseries of Stevie, which is basically the age of the kids. So I was like, we were like right smack in the age of the original It miniseries. So uh, did you, hey, you know, it's relevant. We can talk about it. Stephen King. Did you see the It miniseries when it aired? It is relevant. In sixth grade? Um, I did see, well, yeah, I saw it. I was almost, as a kid, I was, I was. A little scared to watch it is, <laughs> but um, oh, it scared the yeah. shit out of me. <laughs> Don't um, get me wrong. <laughs> when I watch it now, it has not aged well at all. I don't think. Uh, t- oh. Tim Curry is still magnificent, but everything else, <laughs> <laughs> he's really good. Tim Curry is amazing in this movie. But yeah, er- I was watching three months. Like I said, I was watching three months yesterday. He's the best thing in that movie. Yeah, him and Oliver Platt. But yeah, Tim Curry's great. He'll always be great. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't think it holds up very well. It was well. scary. Yeah. I'll kill you all. I'll drive you crazy, and then I'll kill you all. Like he's funny for the whole movie, and then all of a sudden he gets like, "Holy shit, this guy's not joking anymore." <laughs> you know, I am, oh, I am everything you ever were afraid. Oh god, he just cranked mm-hmm. it up from being like sarcastic and goofy, kind of scary, to like, "Holy shit, this guy's about to kill me." <laughs> um, but yeah, I remember going to school the next day. And it's all anybody could talk. It was like the water cooler topic at school the next day was, did you see it on TV last night? Don't forget. You didn't see it? Oh, my God. 
it's about this guy. Like everybody was, it's, it's all anybody could talk about. And like, you got to watch part two. It's going to come on tonight. And then the next day, oh my God, you watch part two. It was okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's all about the first part. I guess, it, I guess that holds true with, with the two films. Yeah. It's all about the kids. Yeah. It, well, in the, in the movie, I, I realized about halfway into this, the, the chapter two, it's like, it's missing that chemistry that all the, like the kids in the first movie, I think they played off really great uh, together. And they had a good chemistry together. But by the time we get to chapter two, which is really weird because I like the cast for the adult character, for the adult. How is Bill Hader? Just tell me he was yeah, good. Yeah, he's good. Tell me he's good, yeah. please. But, don't break my don't break but my But, like, heart. all the characters are not that. Don't break my heart. It's a 90s song. Yes. They're. they're... <laughs> Say you love Okay, all right. Go on, uh, please. So. I don't know. There's not a good. There's not a good chemistry. I'm just gonna talk over you. There's not good chemistry between them, and uh, it's unbreak my heart. Fuck. Yeah. See all that for nothing. Braxton. You did all that shit. Nothing. For Fuck. I did all that too. But I, I, I let our listeners know that I have the voice of an angel. No, you didn't. Think <laughs> <laughs> uh, Tony Braxton was hot. Ah, eh, for a hot minute. Yeah. For a hot yeah. minute, okay. I apologize. You were talking about how the grown-up actors didn't uh, mesh well, or something. Yeah, and the characters aren't very likable, and there's no chemistry between the adult characters, which is weird because okay, I know there's Bill. H- I know there's Bill Hader, James McAvoy, and Jessica Chastain. I, I don't. I don't know who any of the other actors were cast. Yeah, those are the main three. And, and, yeah. Any any names? Any name actors? That you could think of who were cast. Well, those are the three main ones that were cast. I can't remember who played um, the last one. Um, Should be four of the actors. Yeah. <laughs> I like the original adult actors though: John Ritter, Annette O'Toole, Richard Monsieur. They were they were all really good, and I I liked. Obviously, the kid version, of the original, is better, but the adult one. I, I think at the time I was just really into John Ritter and Annette O'Toole. <laughs> yeah. Oh God, Annette O'Toole! <laughs> oh. I downloaded. I watched Superman three the other day. Oh gosh, <laughs> swings. Eighties uh, Annette O'Toole. Early nineties Annette O'Toole isn't bad. Late nineties, early two thousand Smallville Annette O'Toole. Eh. <laughs> but good for Michael McKean though. He gets to hit that every night. <laughs> and I like Michael McKean, who was in. Spinal Tap, directed by Rob Reiner. Boom, six degrees of separation. <laughs> You're not wrong. Okay. Yeah. What are we talking about? <laughs> I've completely lost that train of thought. All right. Well, so. Different Seasons. It's a really good book. Three really good stories that became movies. And another story, which is good, uh, but we won't get into that one. It's called The Breathing Method. Maybe it'll make a movie one day. I don't know. Just to finish the quadrilogy, so you could sell it as a Blu-ray box set. I'm surprised we haven't. You know, this is like this thing to 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 put like three movies together in a Blu-ray set or a DVD mm-hmm. set and like sell them. You know, I recently bought on Blu-ray. It was like 300 Troy and Alexander, and I only bought it because I really just wanted 300 and Troy, the director's cut, where you actually get to see naked, uh, naked Helen and Troy in the director's cut. Yeah. It's pretty nice. Mm. Um, I think I checked that one out. And really, I put on Alexander, really, but I fast-forwarded just looking for the naked scene of Rosario. <laughs> I sound like such a fucking loser. 
<laughs> I'd buy Blu-rays for the naked seats. Oh, God. <laughs> well, secrets out. <laughs> By the way, ladies, I am still single. <laughs> okay. Um. So, it goes, in your estimation, stand by me, Shawshank, and that pupil at yeah. the bottom. Fair enough. I'm probably the same. I hold app people a little bit higher than you, but yeah, it goes the same way for me. Like I said, none of these are horror stories. Um, and I think some of Stephen King's best works are not supernatural, creepy crawly in the dark type horror stories. But he's a really great writer, and uh, maybe down the line, I think we'd like to. I'd like to talk more about Stephen King. To be honest, we talked about him a little bit in our anthology series. We talked about Smoker's Inc. We talked about Creep Show and, and you know story the raft and uh, the ledge and all these stories that Stephen King wrote. Again, the ledge and Smoker's Inc. Nothing supernatural about you them. know what you know what I saw the other night. Um, I watched the the remake of Pet Cemetery. I I tr- I yet to finish it. <laughs> I try like three times. I get like halfway through, or I cannot get through that one. Yeah, it was just. It's not good. <laughs> did you see the original the movie? Yeah, Adaptation. yeah, the movie. Yeah. Uh-huh. What did you, what do you think about that one? I like it. That one scared the living shit out yeah. of me. I was I was a little kid at the time. I don't know what year that came out. I was probably like it was probably nineteen ninety ish somewhere around there, give or take. That movie scared the shit out of me. And then I remember I was like sixteen, and I rented it or I I got a hold of it. I was watching it, and I'm and I'm in bed. Watching it, and it—it's the end of the movie where he's buried his wife. He's waiting for her to come back, and his alarm clock rings midnight. And for some reason, I looked at my clock. <laughs> it said fucking midnight on the fucking dot. Oh my god! I—I—I I, I, the movie ends like a minute later. I just with my remote turned off the TV and went right to bed. I didn't get out of bed to change clothes or nothing because if I did, then Gage would have been under my bed. He would have cut my fucking ankles up with scalpels and shit like that. So I didn't get out of bed because there was monsters under the bed. So, and I'm like 16 at the that's, time. I'm way too old yeah, to that's, be scared that's, about shit That's like logical that. thinking, yeah. yeah. But <laughs> Gage was definitely under there with his little... Fu- no fear, no fear. But yeah, the original movie scared the, scared the fucking shit so out of me. So in the... In the book, not to go off on a big pet cemetery thing, but in the book, is it Gage that get that dies, or is it the, is there? It is Gage. So what? Why the it movie? Is why is it this remake? Well, I I do know. I okay. I know where you're going with this. They flipped yeah. it, right? A, they gotta do something to make themselves different. You know, they they, they have to justify a remake of a, of an adaptation because if we do exact same beats, what's yeah. the point? B. Um, it was a little silly when you when you do watch the original, when because Gage is supposed to be like three years old, two years mm-hmm. old. A lot of the work was done with like puppets and little people, and it, it's a little silly. Like like, why are you scared of this little fucking kid? Why don't you just fucking just punt him, just <laughs> kick him, and he'll go flying across the room? Like why are it's you like scared of play, him? But with a real a boy, little, it's, a, it's a little yeah, it's a little. I think it's a little silly to be like, dude, this is like a two year old kid, and granted he's got a scalpel, but just get a broom. And get a water bottle and be like, no, <laughs> no, you know, <laughs> newspaper, stop, stop. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like, come on, he's like a fucking two year old. Uh, yeah, the, the little kid who played Gage, he was fine, but I mean, a lot of the stunt work had to be done with 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 fake with animatronic arms and little mm. people and, and dummies and things like that. So yes, I guess a little silly if you if you age up 
the character a little bit, the creature, maybe a 10-year-old is a bit scarier, more formidable, I guess. I don't know how old she was supposed to be. Uh, so I get it. And the thing is, the daughter in the book, obviously because she's older, she, she's a much more fleshed-out character. She almost has a bit of the shinin. Oh, yes. Uh, <laughs> you mean shining. Shh, you want to get sued? She has a little bit of the shinin in the book. Okay. And uh, so she's a much more fleshed out character. So when she dies, it, it resonates more for the reader or the viewer. And then when she comes back, you're like, no, I, like I knew her. I loved her. I get it, though. I get why they made the change. Sure. I haven't even gotten to that part of the movie yet, but yeah, I get it. Okay. So that's Pet Cemetery. Although I do, I love John Lithgow. Love that man to mm-hmm. death. Uh, but he can't touch Fred Gwynn's performance. Don't go over there. Yeah. <laughs> you can't go over there. <laughs> it's that damn rod. Um, yeah, Fred Gwynn in Pet Cemetery is fucking great. <laughs> uh, Pet Cemetery, the book is really. I read Pet Cemetery, the book, like two years ago in prep. I reread it in preparation for the new mm. movie, which I never even ended up seeing. Instead, I just rented the old one, and I was like, "Fuck that old one's still a little scary." The, like I said, the ending when this little bitty two-year-old Gage, <laughs> but but I had haunting memories of that mid, of that alarm at midnight <laughs> and Gage under my bed. <sighs> I had a blimpy sandwich, and uh, <laughs> I, I I had like two six-inch subs. I ate one and watched the movie. I had the other one. It was like a cold cut sandwich in bed. I went to bed, left the sandwich in bed with me. <laughs> Because I couldn't get out of bed. Man, that movie fucked you up. I woke up and it woke up. Woke up the next day. Like, ah, oh, okay, sunlight. I'm safe. Ooh, sandwich. Mmm, <laughs> it's room temperature. <laughs> it's good, good blimpy sandwich. I ate the fucking thing right there in bed. <laughs> and that is my Stephen King pet story. That to take away everything we talked about, all the movie, it's all it all comes down to that fucking blimpy sandwich that I ate at room temperature after it was sitting in my bed for like twelve hours. That explains everything. Yes. Mm-hmm. And that's all I have to say about that. Forrest Gump beat out Shawshank mm. as best picture. Boom! All related. Well, on that note, <laughs> what other way to end this show, right? <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to think of any other last thoughts, but uh, I think we talked about it. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, this is, a, this is a fun little episode uh, with a nice little theme of uh, the trilogy of movies. So, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, like I said, Stephen King has such, there's so many Stephen King adaptations, uh, out there there. Yeah. We could definitely come back and do a, like a volume two of, of Stephen King. Uh, movies. I'd love to talk about sleepwalkers. Okay. We'll put a note on it. We'll put, put a pin, put a pin yeah. on it. Yeah. We'll do that mm-hmm. some, somewhere down the road. Yeah. But, uh, I think for now that's going to wrap this show up. So, um, I hope you guys, uh, enjoy this episode. If you, if you did, uh, please give us a uh, like and a follow or a subscribe to us wherever you get your uh, your podcast from. Give us a rate and review. We'd greatly appreciate it. And uh, follow us on social media, facebook.com slash popculturerewind. And Instagram, I'm always uh, posting. I've been posting pictures lately on Instagram of movies I've been buying lately. So uh, um, <laughs> just for kicks, you know. But uh, so go ahead and check those out. And uh Feel free to like those pictures. Follow us. Greatly appreciate it. Um, So, until next time. Yeah. Don't forget to pop your culture. Later.
I want to learn how to play the ch- <laughs> I don't know what it is. <laughs> Maybe it's just- Did you see the music video? They made a music video uh, after the movie came out. And it, it came out like a year or two after the movie. But in that time, Will Wheaton and River Phoenix are in the video. But they have fucking sprouted. Uh, like puberty hit these guys like a ton of bricks. And they're both like a foot taller and older. And uh, it's like they're in a classroom. And the teacher is singing Stand By Me. And then the... They're dancing and shit like that. Will Wheaton and, and River Phoenix are in black t-shirts and shit, and they're old. They look, they look ten years older, because at that age, you know, you just fucking yeah. sprout like a fucking beanstalk. But it's it's weird. <laughs> and you're like, ah, you Will Wheaton acting like you're friends with River Phoenix still. You know, he ditched you because he was <laughs> he was gonna skyrocket. <laughs> 
That was wonderful. Bravo. I loved that. Oh, it was great. Well, it was pretty good. Well, it wasn't bad. Well, there were parts of it that weren't very good, yeah, though. It could have been a lot better. I didn't really like it. It was pretty terrible. It was bad. It was awful. It was terrible. Get him away. Hey, boo. Boo.